0: Forest city church, anyone and everyone. And Saul approved of his execution, talking about Stephen. and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout all regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women uh, and committed them to prison. So we're on the heels of Stephen being stoned. And it starts off in chapter 8 saying that Saul approved of of what was going on. And so we'll talk more about Saul here in a little bit. And so what's significant here also is it says that that there were devout men that were lamenting over Stephen, right? So these were actually, no doubt, Jews that were there that were, that were lamenting over what happened because this was not an execution. Uh, this was not something that was a part of a process that they would go through. This was, this was a murder. And you had people, you had Jews that, that didn't like that. And so they, they publicly lamented. And the reason why this is significant is because during this time, it was, it was illegal. It was against the law. Uh, for someone to mourn publicly for someone that had been executed. And so for these men to be there and for them to to mourn publicly in the streets, it was in direct protest to what was going on. And so it says that, that Saul then began to, to uh, persecute the church. And so when I think about this and I look at it, and it talks about, um, man, people being uh, ripped from their homes, I just can't imagine the fact that if I look down my street and, I, and there's people uh, coming in my neighborhood and people are being literally drugged out of their house, men and women, because of the fact that they were followers of Jesus. And I can only imagine the fear that would arise in them, right? Because they had just experienced what had happened to Stephen, and they were no doubt thinking, "Man, if 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 that happened to Stephen, no doubt there's a possibility." that I am susceptible to this as well. And so we see this persecution arising against the church, right, this this harassment by a group uh, towards the folks just by the basis of the fact that they believed in Jesus. And so we see more details. Real quick, you don't have to go there, but in, in Hebrews chapter 10 gives a little more details of what this was like, right? Looking at verse 32 and 34. The writer of Hebrews says this, but recall the former days, right? So he's, he's asking them to kind of look back at what they had experienced at this point in time. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For if you had compassion on those, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So we see here two new details, essentially, that, that what they had was plundered. So essentially, when, when they would come and assume their home, they would drag out of their house, uh, man, people would come and they would take their things. And so essentially, they would also lose everything. And then we also learn that then these are people that they actually also knew. So these weren't strangers to them. So they harassed, they lost their possessions. And so as a result of this persecution, as a result of everything that was going on, um, the people scattered, it says, except for the disciples, the disciples stayed there. You still have the church in Jerusalem that needed to be tended to, uh, but they scattered. So I wanted to give you a picture when it says uh, scattered amongst Judea and Samaria, just give you an idea of what this looked like and where this was, right? And so so this is what you're talking about, right, Judea in the south and Samaria in the north. And so you have people scattering all over Judea, and you have people also scattering all over Samaria as well. And so you can, you can see what that looks like. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Samaria here in a little bit, right? And so um, but here's the thing. When I think about persecution and what they experience in the Bible, this still happens for Christians throughout the world. Um, man, there was, in 2014, ISIS took over um, Iraq and Syria. And so uh, what they did was if you were someone that, that you weren't from uh, Iraq or Syria, but you stayed there and you were a Christian, uh, what they would say is uh, you either would have to give up your house or you would have to pay a tax, a tax of subjugation uh, to, in order to stay uh, in Iraq and in Syria. And if you were uh, if you were from there and you were a Christian, you would even have to convert back to uh, Islam or you would be killed. And then you also have countries like India, where um, in India you have leadership and, and rulers that would say, like, listen, uh, if you're a Christian, uh, it's tolerated for people to attack you. And as a matter of fact, we even encourage it. Or if you're in, you're in China, you have uh, Christians that are actually under surveillance and you have churches that are being demolished and you have church leaders that are being put in prison and so so this is the reality of what it means to be a Christian in other parts of the world and so we are grateful I'm grateful that we live in a country to where we have this religious freedom we have the ability here to gather to worship um, and to sit under teaching without uh, worry about us being harassed or without worry about our lives being in danger, we get a chance to do this freely. But but it doesn't mean, though, however, that we do not face persecution. I would say that, that we still face harassment um, and as we live our lives out as Christians. Because you do know that we are called to be a holy people. You do know that we are called to live lives that are set apart, that are different. If people were to see us... Our lives and the things that we did, they should be able to tell that something is different about that individual right uh, so that is what it's supposed to be for us and so we face persecution so for example as you as you live out your life as you are a witness of Jesus as you as you allow your relationship with Jesus to impact your words your actions and your attitude, you may face persecution when you're around a group of friends and and they may be they may be making a joke of, of someone or a, a group of people and because of who you are and your relationship with Jesus you know that's not right and and in the face of that you have to condemn what they're doing and they make fun of you saying that you are uptight in the fact that you need to to loosen up you may face persecution when if you have some friends that made in order for them to have a good time it, it involves certain substances and and you may say to yourself, like, no, no, that's, that's not what I'm going to do. I don't need to do that in order to turn up. Um, I, I have a holy turn up. Um, especially me, I, I'm a morning person. I, I, don't, I don't need all that. But what you say is, uh, no, I'm good. Y'all, y'all can miss me with that. And, and eventually what may happen is that when they go to hang out, you just may no longer be um, invited. You, you, you face persecution when you may have a job that, that is in direct conflict with with what you do and how you live your life as a Christian. You may be confronted with a very hard decision to make. Am I going to continue to compromise my values just to stay on this job? Or do I believe the Lord has another opportunity uh, and another way for me to provide for my family? So you face persecution when you have to leave a job. Or you may face persecution um, Ladies, when that man comes to you and says, hey, like, it makes sense. Why don't you come and you live at my house? It makes sense financially, huh? See, I ain't going to be with me here. It's okay. It just makes sense. babe. why don't you come on in? Don't worry about a ring. Just come on in. And woman, lady, you say, no, no, no. Just because it's permissible don't mean it's wise. I'm not going to do that. And he said, well, then we can't be together. Well, then you got to go, right? Um, But that's persecution. That's you standing up. That's you going against the grain of society and say, no, this is not how I live. I choose to live this way. Or what about, man, maybe you are someone that has significant influence. Maybe you're someone that has significant power, and you see and identify people. Maybe it's on your job or in another space, and you see that they're marginalized, You see that maybe there's a group of people that don't have a voice and you have an opportunity to leverage your influence in which the Lord has given you on behalf of someone else. But in order for you to do that thing, it's going to cost you maybe relationships, it's going to cost you maybe opportunities or money in the future. But because of who you are in Christ. Because your actions and your attitudes are based on your relationship with him, you do the right thing and stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves at the sake of your future opportunities and money and earnings. That's when you face persecution. So we do face persecution when we live our lives and we go against the grain. Of culture when we go against the grain of society. But listen, when we, when we do face persecution, we should not be surprised. Right? Because look at what Jesus said in, in Luke. I'll just read it. You don't have to go there. Luke chapter 21. He says this, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you Uh, they will put to death. And then also in John 15, says this, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So we should not be surprised when persecution comes. Another reason why we shouldn't be surprised when persecution comes is because, listen, we live in a fallen world. As, As a result of our sin, Right, Apart from Jesus, we are enemies with God. We're we're enemies with each other. And because we are in a fallen world, creation itself is broken. So when we experience life in a way that's not the way it's meant to be, it's the reality of us living in a fallen world. So sometimes, though, however, things happen to us in our lives that's not ideal. And we often ask the question, like, why did God allow this to happen to me? Because the reality is we, we have a good, we, we are swimming in God's goodness. We are swimming in God's grace. We are swimming in his blessings. And we get to the point to where we even feel entitled to them. But to be entitled is not living in light of the fact that we live in a Fallen world. What our posture should be as a result of us living in the fallen world is like, oh, I'm grateful I have the opportunity to experience it this long. I'm grateful the Lord had my health and, and good and health for for this long. We should see the good things that we experience as a gift from God instead of us being entitled to those things that we experience from God. We live in a fallen world. So we shouldn't be surprised again when we experience suffering from from others and the people that we come in contact with. But for me, things get real crazy in chapter, I'm sorry, in verse 4 of chapter 8 where it says this. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So preaching here is misleading. Preaching, uh, man, you, you think about someone doing what I'm doing, right, uh, in front of a group of people proclaiming the word of God. But, but in this sense, it's really just talking about sharing the good news. But what, what blows me away is, is how in the world are they in a the position to where they can share the gospel? Listen now, this is where you got to do some work. You got to place yourself in the story. You have to use your psychological imagination, Come on, man, what if you got drug out your house? Come on, i was just saying, think about that, literally. Somebody came to your house, drug you and your wife out the house, and was going to drag you off to prison. And so you say, instead of me doing that, instead of me dealing with that, I don't want to go to prison. I want to keep my family together, That we have to leave. You got to leave your house. You gotta leave your possessions. You gotta leave the things that you have. You have to leave your lifestyle. You have to leave your comforts. And you gotta go somewhere and you don't know where you're gonna go. So you gotta travel to an unknown place, hoping that you can find somewhere to land. What would that be like for you? How devastated would you be? And then what ends up happening is grateful, thankfully. At some point, you're weary from your travel. You've been, you've been walking. Your kids have been crying, talking about they're hungry and want some food. And, and finally, you find someone uh, in safety that, that will say, Oh, I will extend hospitality to you. You can come into my house and eat the food that originally was for my family, but I'm generous enough to share with you. And right, look at there. What are we talking about today after church? Hospitality. There you go. Right. So hopefully someone would extend hospitality. So you go in their house and then eventually you guys would break bread. And it's when you're breaking bread that you get an opportunity to share your story. They want to know what happened. Where are you from? How did you get here? And I would imagine that at that point. You'd be so devastated by what you're experiencing. You would be so devastated at what your family has had to endure that, 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 that all you could share about was the fact that, man, we've been struggling. Man, it's been hard. And it's not because we follow somebody named Jesus. And I don't know if it's worth it anymore to continue to follow him. At least that's what I'm thinking I would say. Right? I'm just putting myself into the story. I I don't know how I could be in any other state. I don't know how I could say anything different. But that's not what happened. They came together. They would break bread. They would share stories. And I would imagine they would begin to talk to them about the goodness of God. They would begin to share how their lives have been changed by Jesus. Jesus. I would imagine they would begin to say things like, oh, man, I was at one point a slave to my sin. I was so caught up in living a certain lifestyle, even though it was tearing me up, even though it was leading me to destruction. But I was so in bondage that I couldn't do anything else until I met Jesus. And he changed me from the inside out and literally transformed me and set me free from my sin. And I don't know how long I have to go down the path of destruction. I would imagine that's what they would say. I would imagine they would say, like, oh, man, I was going in life aimlessly with, with no idea where I was headed, no idea what I was doing. And then at some point, the Lord revealed to me the thing that I was made for, and then I now have purpose. And then now my purpose is also bringing glory to God. I would imagine that's, I would imagine that's some of the things that they would be saying. I would imagine that they'd be saying, like, man, I used to have an anger issue. Inside of me, it just kind of festered, and I I had an attitude, and I would yell at people, and I would get mad easily, and I I would be triggered. But somehow, somehow, someway, now there is a peace inside of me that passes all understanding that I can't explain it, and it didn't happen to me until I found Jesus. I would imagine this is what they'd be talking about. And it can continue. I was, in a, I was in a bad situation. It was hopeless. I didn't know what I was going to do. My body was sick and, and I needed to get well. And But somehow, someway, I encountered Jesus. And because I encountered Jesus, my life is different. I would imagine this was the table conversation. And so here's the thing. Here, Here's how they can have the conversation. When I'm in a position in my natural state, How in the world could I share the gospel in that moment? The gospel is good news, right? But I don't have any good news to share. This is me in the natural. But for them, what they're saying is this. My experience of Jesus has been so significant, given the choice of whether I could continue to experience his love and enjoy him and what I've gotten from him compared to the other things that I have. Oh, give me Jesus. I would rather have Jesus than all the stuff I just left. So even though I've experienced all those things, I my reality is oh, oh, I already have all I need because I'm connected to him. That's how they can share the gospel because of their perspective. Ah, oh, my time's looking good. So let me go somewhere. I didn't know I was, I know I had to go. So check this out. So listen. So we live life, and so we, the Lord blesses us, and he he gives us these things, and so, and we enjoy those things, and so, but sometimes what begins to happen is then when the Lord decides to take those things away or just the way the world works, the things that, that we enjoyed, whether it's family or friends, relationships, or, or certain comforts that we enjoy when the Lord takes those things away, we are so grasping and clinging to those things with everything that we have that, that we, ha- we feel that we're suffering because the Lord took those things away. But we were never supposed to be so attached to those things in the first place. And it's the Lord that said, hey, I'm going to bless you. I, I'm a, I, I want you to enjoy these things, but, but you're never meant to worship these things over worshiping me. And we worship the creation more than we worship God himself. And so we have to be in a position to where we have the right perspective the man, if we are connected to Jesus in our in a relationship with Jesus, that because He loves us, He's gonna lead us to a place of flourishing. His way is good. He will lead me to fulfillment, He will lead me to joy, He will lead me to peace in a way those things never did or never could. And if we think they are, we're only delusioned. Because true, lasting satisfaction, and fulfillment only comes from our relationship with God. And that's my friends how they could be in such a dire state and still share the gospel. And so we continue to move on and to verses 5 through 8, and here's what it says. It says this. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they Heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So we see Philip. Philip is a deacon just like Stephen was. Right? So Stephen was one of the, the seven that were chosen to kind of handle the, the affairs. The, the Hellenistic Jews were mad because their widows weren't, were being cheated in the distribution. So Stephen, I'm sorry, Philip, excuse me, was, was one of those. He was, he was with Stephen. and So I would imagine that Philip would have been greatly disturbed by what had happened to Stephen. I would imagine that, that Philip was mourning. I would imagine that, that, that Philip had an opportunity to question, man, if if this was was worth it, but we see Philip here lifted up as an example of of the types of things that were happening amongst the people, and I mind you, there was nothing special about Philip. Philip didn't necessarily have a pedigree, because all the disciples and the apostles said to the people when the struggle came up, is that hey, just find people of good reputation. Um, uh, filled with the spirit and that are full of wisdom. That's all he said. So, so, so Philip is not necessarily special in any kind of way. Philip is, is an ordinary guy, filling a role as a deacon. And so when I, when I hear that, I think about so many of you guys here in the room that I've had an opportunity to, met, that, to meet, and I would say that you all fit some of those same qualities, people right now here in this room, of good reputation, filled with the spirit, and full of wisdom. That's all Philip was. And he's lifted up here as an example of what was going on. And for he, it says, um, it does say for him that, where am I, that that he would proclaim to them Christ. And so the word proclaim for Philip, though, is more like what I'm doing. Philip was just different and said, like, you know, no, no, you don't listen to me. I got something to say. So Philip did. He did stand up. He did share he did preach and he did proclaim and by the way Philip he he could have stayed where it was comfortable he could have stayed with his folks he could have stayed with what was familiar but Philip said no 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 I'm gonna go to Samaria why Samaria significant some of you may remember right Uh, Jesus encountered the woman at the well in Samaria and uh the Samaritan woman and the woman was like uh why are you talking to me Because Jews and Samaritans don't mix. So real quick, a little history. So a long time ago, Israel was split up into two kingdoms. You had the the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. In the northern kingdom, they were taken over by the Assyrians. Um, And so they were taken over. Some of them taken off. Some people remained in Syria. I'm sorry. They remained in the northern kingdom. And so what they did in the north is they intermarried with the Assyrians. Whereas people in the southern kingdom decided, no, 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 we're not going to do that. No, no, Jews going to be with you. And so because of the decision that, that they made, um, they saw them as half-breeds. And they could not stand them because they diluted their race and their ethnicity. And so that's why Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. And so Philip says, no, no, that's where I'm going to go. That's where I'm going to go. And that's where he went. And he proclaimed Christ, preached the good news. Um, and it says people were healed. And so in that, in the miracles that he, pre- that he did and the signs that he, that, he, um, that he performed, all that was was just a confirmation of what he was preaching. Because he had a lot of people that were, were false teachers. And so what Phil was able to do, it was able to, to confirm the fact that, no, no, I'm teaching and what I'm teaching is true. What I'm teaching is legit. And it also said that those folks that they had, they had joy as a result. Okay, so here we go. So so that's kind of what's been going on. And so I really want to zoom out, though, because the reason Philip going to Samaria was really significant, right? Let's look back at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's on the screen. It says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So this is what What Jesus had commanded the folks to do, he said, go be my witnesses, meaning um, your actions, your words, your attitude should reflect the fact that you belong to me. Go be my witnesses in these places. And so by Philip going to do that, he's fulfilling of being obedient to what the Lord had told him to do. So basically what the Lord said was going to happen and come to pass, it came to pass because we see Philip making it happen. So here's some things that we learn as a result of zooming out and looking at everything that's going on. Number one, we learn this, that being a witness for Jesus may involve suffering. Okay? When Jesus said, hey, go be my witness in Judea and Samaria, he didn't tell him the fact that it was going to involve suffering. The power that he promised them in the Holy Spirit, they didn't know that the power that they were going to be given probably was going to be so that they can endure the suffering that they would experience as a result of being obedient. Right? So being a witness for Jesus may involve suffering. Secondly, the suffering may be necessary to accomplish God's purpose in, the, in your life and the lives of other people. Because check this out. The suffering was the catalyst to the scattering. They may not have scattered had they not suffered. Right? And so, and so I will, thank you so much. They may not have scattered had they not suffered. Right? So, so we see again that, that, that the suffering may be necessary to accomplish uh, God's purpose in your life and the lives of others. And then lastly, we see this. We see that God's plan and purposes are good. Because check this out. At the end of, of, of what happened in Samaria, what did it say? It says the people in the city had joy. Man, I could preach a whole another sermon about that. I ain't got time. But they had joy. So, so, so they benefited from Philip saying, like, oh, no, uh, 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 I'm going to continue to be obedient and be a witness even though I've just experienced suffering and loss. Because of his sacrifice, they experience gladness. God is good, right? And then you also have Saul, right? So Saul is is the the bad character. He's the bad guy in this scenario, right? Some of you who know the story, you know that Saul would eventually become Paul. um, and He would would go on and write uh, a lot of the the New Testament. But here's the deal. Um, uh, So in this scripture, we see Saul, God working in Saul's life. Here he's the bad guy, but what we can see, oh, no, the Lord's working, right? He approved of Stephen's killing, the Lord's working. He watched people, uh, he approved people being drugged out of houses, the Lord's working. Because you know what the Lord told Paul? He said, I'm going to show you how much you got to suffer for my name. And I'd imagine that Paul said to himself that, oh, man, uh, um, I, I was so zealous, and I pointed my zealousness in the wrong direction. Now that I got the right direction, how much more zealous do I need to be because of Jesus Christ? And so the Lord is building up in him a desire, and what eventually will turn into what he's going to do for Christ. But that would not have came had he not gone through Come on, man. So you got to understand that we see Saul, God working in Saul, even though in the story, he is a bad character. Parenthetically, how many people do you not like that the Lord is currently working in? And how about the Lord might use you to help bring them to Jesus? But I ain't got time for that as a whole. (laughs) But God is good. I'm going to tell you what else is God is good because I'm a Gentile. Had they not done what they did, it's a possibility that I wouldn't be right here right now sharing the good news with you right now. It's a possibility that my family, matter of fact, my family wouldn't even be a thing because I was ratchet, you hear what I'm saying? I might not even have found my good thing, So listen, I'm grateful for my sake, for my wife's sake and my two kids' sake because they endured what they did. They were obedient to be witnesses and now my family's blessed as a result because I'm connected to Jesus and I have freedom and I have hope and I've been healed and I've been restored. So when persecution comes to your doorstep, you're going to have to make a choice. When you calculate the fact that like, oh, i got to be a witness in this situation. Oh, this is going to cost me. You're going to have to make a choice. And Here's a choice. Do you want to see God's purposes fulfilled in your lives and the lives of others or not? And if you do, then it may require that you be a witness. That's the ultimate question. So as we we're, we're we're about to go, so I got I got three questions for you to think about as as we as we draw to a close. Here's here's what you should think about. Number one, <clears throat> what is my witness for Jesus costing me? What is my witness for Jesus costing me? That's a loaded question, because if in order for your witness to cost you, you first have to be a witness. And if if you think you're being a witness and it's not costing you, then maybe you could be a witness to a greater degree. Maybe the Lord is calling you to say more with your words. Maybe the Lord is calling you to action in certain circumstances. Maybe the Lord is calling you to have a different attitude as you live in the world so that folks can see clearly like, oh, no, he's different. Oh, no, she's different. What is my witness for Jesus costing me? Secondly, am I still able to testify to the goodness of Jesus? So as you live in life being a witness and it's costing you, can you still say God is good? Can you still rejoice? Can you still have joy? And then lastly, am I sharing the good news? Right? So, you, so you're being a witness. It's, it's, it's costing you, um, but you understand that God is good in this. So you're going you're gonna to continue to do it. You know the Lord's working. You know that he's, he's, he's working something out for his glory, for your benefit, for the benefit of someone else. You can have confidence of that because of your, the, the love that you experienced from Jesus. And so then at that point, you have something to share. You have something to talk to the people about. And if you're sitting here listening to me, it's like, oh, well, I don't, I don't know how to do that when it comes to the hospitality haven. That's what that's all about. No, real talk. That's what it's about. And so, so if those of you going to the haven, you're going to hear this in a little bit, but I'm going to just say it now. We have an idea of what evangelism is. We have an idea of what sharing the good news is. We have an idea of what the gospel is. And the ideas that we have in our mind about what that looks like, it's not what it looks like. Because from the beginning, God said, no, what it looks like is hospitality. What it looks like is you entering into relationship with the people that are around you and creating space to have, be, friendship, be friends, have conversations, get to know them, and love them. And in that context, you get an opportunity to say what the Lord has done. Okay. That's okay. All right. So more to come for those of you guys that are standing after, but, you know, but you get what I'm saying. All right. But that's what, so these three questions, I, I encourage you to think about what these are for you guys. And then lastly, as we wrap up, we've been talking about our values here at this church, right? There are these these directions um, going backwards, going forwards, uh, going upwards, inwards, and then going outward, right? These these directions about staying connected to the word. These directions about loving each other and going together, pursuing his presence, right? Going inward, doing our work, and then going out and serving others, right? So we just want to be intentional. About connecting the dots on these values and how the, 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 the word points to us how we can live these things out. And so, but there's one that I'm going to focus on, and that's that's going inward, that's doing our work. Because the reality is that as followers of Jesus, we are to surrender to him as Lord of our lives. That means that he's in charge. But sometimes, um, we're not always aware of the areas in which we are not surrendering our lives. So what happens in moments like this when we are sitting on the teaching and where we are in scripture, and especially this scripture because we see an example of ordinary people living out their faith. I don't know what's more applicable to us as followers of Jesus. We have an opportunity to, to, to allow the scripture to uh Make us aware of maybe some areas that where we're not surrendering our life to Jesus. And that's when you do your inner work. You look inside, you, you evaluate your heart, your affections, your desires, the things that motivate you, the things you care about, the things you don't care about. And ask yourself, man, are they in alignment with who I am in Jesus? And so so part of us doing our work today as relates to this It's looking at the example of the people, right? As they live this thing out. And we take our lives and we lay it on top of theirs. And we say, oh, man, where does it not match up? Where is there a gap? And where a gap exists, man, with great intensity, I work to close the gap. I make it my aim. It's not an afterthought. It's not a hobby. No, it's my intention and my purpose. I'm going to go chase after that thing. So I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you look at the people and the relationship they had to their stuff. They had a freedom. They, they weren't so closely tied to those things because they, they could still have joy. Maybe, maybe that's it for you. Maybe it's the fact that you saw Philip and where did he go? He went to Samaria. Samaria. He went to a place that's different. He encountered people that's different. And you look at your life and you realize like, oh, man, I have a lot of the same people in my circle and in my context. We look the same. We believe the same. We do the same things. And maybe the Lord is calling you to, to, get, uh, to go out of that, to, to encounter some people that maybe are different than you. Maybe someone may be like, man, I'm, I haven't shared the word. No, uh, uh, no one knows necessarily my story. So, man, maybe I need to figure out how I can share what God has done for me. Maybe you're saying to yourself, like, oh, I need to be a witness. I'm not really testifying to who Jesus is in my life. Like, if someone looked at my life, they wouldn't necessarily see the fact that I'm different because I live my life kind of like everybody else does. Whatever it is for you, the invitation for you today is to to go inward, is for you to do your work. Why? So we could be more in the image of Jesus. Why? Because that leads us to joy. That leads us to joy. So let's stand. We're about to go. <clears throat> Again, if you, are, if you are able to stay for the hospitality haven, I just encourage you to do that. Um, it's a big step for our church to, to build into this church a way that we can be more like Jesus. And so if you can stay... Um, I invite you to, to come stay it's going to be a great time um, so I'm gonna pray for us and then and then we'll we'll be dismissed so Lord we thank you I prayed this before um, we were together I'm just thankful that you are that kind of a god that when I look at you and your goodness and your love and me being connected to you anything else this world can provide pales in comparison so Lord I just pray for, I pray for us today as we have been exposed to, man, the testimony of the early church. As we get a chance to witness how people could have joy and share the gospel in the midst of suffering and persecution. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be at work in us as we, man, see how our lives stack up. As we identify areas that, uh, man, we could pursue you more. Areas that we could surrender to you more. But ultimately, Lord, I pray that at the end of the day, we would experience more of you that we would experience more joy. So, Lord, help us to go forth from this place. Being firmly rooted in who we are in your son Jesus Christ. And being so centered in that reality that it can't help but impact the things that we say, the things that we do, and the attitude in which we live our lives. So be with us, Lord. Give us your grace. May your face continue to shine upon us as we leave this place. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you to see our grace and peace.